any leadership should involve a subordination of one's own like um, self-interested agenda or priorities to the common good, and which is precisely why it's called public service. Uh, and when that fails to happen, uh, there, there are real implications. Um, there's real damage done uh, to the body politic. And I do think that there has been, as you have said, uh, an increased perhaps disinterest on the part of some uh, public, supposedly public servants in doing that. Welcome to Grayson 30 on WERALP, Arlington 96.7 FM, and streaming at WERA.FM. This is Ed Malik, and I'll be your host for the program tonight. There seems to be a serious void in leadership today. Tribalism, self-righteousness, contempt, and dishonesty are far too common among our government, business, and even church leaders. What can we do to address this problem? Tonight's guest is the president of the Trinity Forum, an organization working to transform society through the character and spiritual development of our leaders. Cherie Harder joined the forum in 2008 following a career in government that included stints at the White House and Congress. She joins us to talk about the Trinity Forum and the most important insights they've gained about leadership from their work with leading Christian thinkers. Cherie, welcome to Grace and 30. Great to be here, Ed. I looked at some of the luminaries, people you've had on the program, you've, you've hosted on podcasts or you've had in some of the speaking sessions, and it's folks like Arthur Brooks and Francis Collins, Cornell West, Ben Sass. And I'm wondering, especially with the events of the past year, the division, the instability and uncertainty, what stands out to you the most from these interviews that's most relevant today? Oh, that's a great question, Ed. You know, one of the things that I think is... Um, particularly relevant now. I mean, it's always true, but, you know, over the last couple of years, we have seen, as you were saying, such a huge increase in polarization, division, alienation, isolation, and this, and so on, uh, that it's started not only to be you know, a drag on our individual spirits, our individual capacity to to lead, to work, to think wisely and well, uh, but it's also had a real impact on us as a country. Um, the very things that kind of you know undermine our ability to think, work, lead well as individuals also have an effect on the body politic. And, you know, we've seen that over the last year. We have certainly grown more isolated and alienated as a result of, of um, the pandemic, a public health crisis that has kept us isolated in our homes and locked down. Uh, but we also have a, a civic culture that is fraying, uh, that is increasingly marked by, by division, by conspiracy, uh, by people talking past each other, by a remarkable like lack of empathy, even curiosity into what others are, are thinking or uh, an unwillingness to understand. And, and all that results uh, in essentially in injustice, in a breakdown of social capital, um, you know, the erosion of community and a loss of the sense of the common good. That's obviously a huge loss for the country, uh, but it's also, it, it reflects in some ways, a failure also of living out our faith. You know, if we're called to love God and love our neighbor as ourself, you know, an essential part of that 
uh, of loving one's neighbor is seeking justice and seeking the common good. And I think one of the things we have seen is a lack of uh, prioritization and even ability to work towards the common good. And that's one of the things that we are trying to address through our programs. You're saying things I love to hear because the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And a co-equal commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And I love it when Jesus said, someone says, well, who's my neighbor? And he told a story about a despised Samaritan. And I love the fact that he used the word despised. Right. And elsewhere in Luke, he's quoted as saying, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. We are really falling down in that badly, especially in the body of Christ. And I, I guess my question to you is, I get the sense, I mean, the, the thing you guys seem to be doing is really focusing on leaders, better preparing leaders, because they have such a great influence on the culture at large. Do you see that as the main problem or, or one of the main problems that we're having these days is, is there sort of a void in our leadership? Well, it's certainly one of the main problems, Ed, and I think you kind of hinted at it there. Uh, there's certainly a big problem with leaders. Uh, there's also a problem, you know, I think even more broadly among uh, among the body politic. One one of the sort of trends of the last couple of decades is, you know, with new technological developments, uh, you know, really in many ways our country is influenced not by just say a handful of titans of industry or politics, you know, who, uh, you know, the gatekeepers of society whose decisions really move the country. You know, increasingly, there are more opportunities for more people to have spheres of influence within, you know, their organizations and communities. And, you know, most of us uh, have, in many ways, act as leaders in some sphere. So when we talk about sort of the breakdown of you know, a prioritization of the common good and loving your neighbor among leaders. I think we're talking not only about uh, elected political officials, but even more broadly. And, you know, it's it's something, um, you know, that you see play out uh, certainly on, on the national scale. And that's something we have watched over the last uh, few years with, uh, I think everyone can think of a number of different examples of national leaders uh, behaving badly, um, you know, engaging in um, in exercises and rhetoric that seems designed to inflame, designed to troll, designed to deepen division, as opposed to seeking to you know find resolution, uh, to promote justice, to extend mercy, you know, to uh, work towards the common good or the flourishing of uh, of all individuals. But that that problem is not limited to our national leadership. And of course, part of the problem, one of the reasons why so many of our elected officials are acting the way that they do is that they are positively reinforced in that behavior uh, by those of us who vote for them. You know, if there was more of a demand for better behavior, it would most likely change, uh, which in many ways means that the onus is largely on us. You know, we, we can't just hope uh, that a more powerful leader will be the one to take the initiative. You know, I think in many ways it, it starts it starts here. It starts with us and it starts in our own spheres of influence. So I, I like that what you said is everybody is a leader in some setting. And, probably, and usually multiple settings. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite definition for leadership? What is leadership? 
Oh, another great question, Ed. You know, there are many different definitions of leadership, but um, in many ways, I guess I would define a leader as someone who takes initiative within their sphere of influence, has the ability to envision and make things happen. And and it's a broad definition, uh, but in many ways, I think it should be in that almost all of us, you know, have some sort of sphere where we can initiate a a plan, a vision, and actions to achieve that. Uh, And that kind of initiation, that kind of envisioning and execution, you know, is really at the heart of what leadership is. And is it also a, a coupling that with you? You initiate something. You certainly want to influence people around you to participate, correct? To support yes, that? Absolutely. So, I mean, part of uh, making anything happen, rarely can, is that something that can be accomplished all by oneself. Um, you know, any big movement, any significant action uh, generally requires more than one person. So their influence and motivation and inspiration is all going to be a vital part of that as well. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard of Simon Sinek, correct? Yes. yes. And so we, we may have talked about this on the phone. He wrote a book called Leaders Eat Last. And I feel like wow, if I wrote a book, I would call it Leaders Die First. And I mean that in the sense that we die to ourselves so that we can serve the people you know, what did Christ say? If you want to be first, you got to be last. You want to be a, a leader or a king, you've got to be a servant. And mm-hmm. I think that attitude is kind of lacking. I think sometimes you see sort of this servant attitude, and it's more, you know, just playing the game of a humble servant when people really aren't truly humble and leading from a perspective of humility. Uh, do, you, do you see that as well? Oh, I, I think you are really onto something there. I mean, that is obviously... Um not just the model of leadership that Jesus talked about, but that he embodied. And of course, you know, um, our, our Savior is the one who laid down his life for us. So um, it wasn't even just a matter of dying first, you know, his death made possible new life. Uh, and of course, most leaders are not called necessarily to die on behalf of the ones that they are serving. Uh, but any leadership uh, should involve a subordination of one's own like um, self-interested agenda or priorities to the common good, and which is precisely why it's called public service. Uh, and when that fails to happen, uh, there, there are real implications. Um, there's real damage done uh, to the body politic. And I do think that there has been, as you have said, uh, an increased perhaps disinterest on the part of some uh, public, supposedly public servants in doing that. One of our speakers that we had the pleasure of hosting recently uh, is a scholar named Yuval Levin, who has uh, written a number of really uh, worthy works. But one of the things that he has described lately is that there has been uh, an erosion of institutional leadership, not just in the sense of, you know, a number of leaders are kind of falling down on the job, but even a sense of what it requires. And you look at, say, Capitol Hill, you know, where I worked for a number of years. And for most of the time, there was uh, an assumption, uh, as well as norms and mores kind of around, that there were certain uh, responsibilities of leadership that had to take precedence over one's own self-interest, and that those priorities and responsibilities would act in a way as as a discipline and a check on individual behavior. It, uh, it meant that you didn't, you know, 
go out and dish the dirt on all of your colleagues because you would probably have to work with them in the future. It meant that you had to work within certain institutional norms, uh, that you had to follow certain rules. And you know there, there may be things you could have criticized about that time, but it did uh, discipline and form and check behavior. And it was with the assumption that there were bigger priorities than one's own advancement, um, you know, or, or particular, you know, interest in, a, in, a, in whatever the area was. And one of the things we see happening now are that people going into, let's say, Congress, not for the purpose really of doing something, enacting an agenda, pushing certain legislative priorities, but rather using their institutional uh, position as a platform for self-expression, which is exactly the opposite of what uh, you know, leadership is about, which is the subordination at times of your own personal self-expression or self-interest to the common good. And I think the model of leadership that is uh, embodied uh, you know, in the Bible and um, is something very different. It is, as you said, a dying to the self, a subordination of what you know of our own advancement, uh, our own glorification, uh, you know, our own personal priorities to to the common good, to caring for one's neighbor, to loving them, and to working towards you know the flourishing of one's neighbors and one's community. I'm going to take a little break here so I can do a fundraising pitch, but I'm going to ask you when we come out of that to give me your favorite one or two leadership scriptures. But for the time being, I want to briefly interrupt the program tonight to mention WERA's fundraising drive running from April 26th through May 9th. The Grayson 30 radio program almost certainly would not have had the chance to air on an FM station had it not been for the graciousness of Arlington Independent Media, also known as AIM. AIM's purpose has been to provide Arlington residents with an opportunity to raise their voice in ways that would otherwise not be possible. Among many things, AIM provides unique opportunities for important community organizations and local artists to inform and entertain the Arlington community. This past year, Arlington County relied on AIM and WERA to help share important public information about everything from COVID vaccinations to voting to the census. All of this wouldn't be possible without the support of listeners like you. So please take a few minutes to visit either arlingtonmedia.org or wera.fm and click the donate button in the upper right-hand corner and make a tax-deductible gift. That's arlingtonmedia, one word, .org or wera.fm. Grayson 30 has been on the air for five years, and we have consistently shared a message of bridge building, service, and hope in a world increasingly characterized by division, contempt, and untruth. We'd like to thank the listeners who have supported us and Arlington Independent Media during that time. So, Cherie, let's talk about your favorite leadership scripture. Do you have one that leaps to mind when I ask you that question? You know, I don't know that I have one verse that leaps to mind, but a few that, um, you know, I was just thinking about as you like took a, a quick break. You know, one, well, the shortest verse in the Bible, of course, Jesus wept. Mm. One of the things that... Um, one of the reasons that this verse came to mind is just the compassion, the care, the love, the empathy uh, that Jesus showed. I mean, he knew how that story was going to end. He knew that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he also knew just the pain and the loss in his friends' hearts. 
um, and, and all that was represented, all the grief that was around him. And even though he knew that this story was going to have a joyful ending because he was going to change it, he entered into uh, the grief and the suffering of those around him. Uh, I think that that shows a lot about uh, not only certainly what leaders do, but, you know, but who God is. Um, you know, another, this is a story more than a verse, um, but that I love is, of course, the story of uh, Jesus, Mary, and Martha. Uh, Mary and Martha are showing hospitality. They are uh, busy scurrying around, uh, you know, taking care of all the people who are there. Mary is so drawn uh, to Jesus's teaching that she sits at his feet. And in some ways, you know, according to Martha, neglects some of the uh, the duties of a hostess. Uh, and, and that was certainly at a time when uh, women were not taken seriously. Uh, they're, uh, you know, they're being present when great teaching was, uh, was taking place, was not considered a priority. Uh, but Jesus basically said, no, you know, Martha, Mary has chosen wisely. Um, you know, he, th- there was such a, a sense of, you know, of respect, of, in some ways, intellectual hospitality, um, a, a recognition of her value and worth. Uh, that was in defiance of the culture at the time, that it's, um, I think it's really a beautiful story and one that hopefully would help inform, um, you know, some of our own uh, approaches to uh, to leadership, you know, to encourage us to, to see the value in others, to go out of our way, to make them feel at home, um, to, you know, avoid exclusion to affirm dignity and worth. Um, I think all that is, there's so many applications that could be taken from that simple story, but those are a few. People didn't let women sit at their feet to be taught back then. That was absolutely unheard of. And it was a tremendous sign of respect, you know, that Jesus showed towards women to allow Mary to sit like that. So I love that you thought of that story. You did say a little earlier in the conversation, we talked about humility. Um, I think of Philippians 2, 5 through 8, where, you know, we're told we have to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You know, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, but he gave up his divine privileges. And it seems like people are, are taking office now for power and for influence, selfish influence, rather than, you know, giving up privileges so that they can serve, take a humble position and serve people instead. Um, so, you, you know, it sounds like, again, you are seeing that, you know, far too common these days. Well, you know, I think there's always a temptation um, you know, in whatever position we find ourselves in to use that position, to use the authority we might have for self-advancement, settling of scores, domination, whatever, uh, whatever one, uh, whatever term one uses. And, you know, one needs to do nothing uh, else besides say, go on, go on Twitter and find how much of the discourse is all about trying to, you know, whether it's own the libs or shame the right, it's all about trying to embarrass or humiliate or one up or dominate. And, you know, Jesus' example is exactly the opposite. It is the complete uh, antithesis to a discourse or a demeanor of domination. Um, you know, he he seeks to to love, to care for, um, 
you know, to, you know, to draw towards becoming who he created us to be, you know, it's, it's about generativity uh, as opposed to diminishment and uh, demeaning. And so I think this is true. Unfortunately, we see the drive to dominate not only with people who have you know big offices or big platforms or authority, but we see it on a, a smaller scale as well. And I think that um, you know that kind of drive to dominate, which is one of the big sort of energizing currents of so much of our public discourse. Uh, that's part of what leads to sort of the breakdown of social cohesion, social trust, you know, and the common good that we were talking about before. So I want to talk a little bit about community. Um, I've heard you talk about the breakdown of community and society, that we don't know each other anymore. Why is community so important? And, and certainly there are examples of communities that come together for wrong purposes. There are groups that are kind of coming together and colluding to try to disrupt society in some way. But why is community such an important thing? And, and, and why, why do we seem to be losing a sense of, of, of good community? Oh, boy, great question. And so community is important for so many reasons. We were created uh, to be in community. And there's so many verses in the Bible that talks about that, um, you know, that talks about how, in the Old Testament, how God puts the orphaned and the fatherless in families. Um, you know, throughout the Old Testament, there is so much about the ordering of community and how people, how the Israelites were to live together, how they were to order and structure their common life. Uh, we're social animals. You know, we are we are made and wired to be who we are, not as isolated, atomized individuals, uh, but as friends and neighbors and husbands and wives and sons and daughters and uh, you know and friends. You know, living together is part of how we become who we are. And anyone who has close friends knows that there is there are parts of one's personality uh, that are only kind of evoked or drawn out through the, through one's friendships and one's friendships interactions. There are talents or abilities one might have that were first discovered or discerned by someone else who encourage you to develop them. You know, we we become the people that we are supposed to be largely through the influence of others. Uh, you know, thinking itself is a relational act. We build on what we've heard, what we experienced, what we paid attention to, largely through interactions with others to form what we believe are our own thoughts. Um, so, you know, community is is just so it's vitally important, not just for our common life, but you know, paradoxically, community is so essential for our individual flourishing as well as our communal or, or civic flourishing. You know, as to why community has broken down, you know, Ed, I'm sure you have many guests on who could spend many hours talking about some of some of the factors. And, and uh, you know them. There have been lots of different studies on the ways that uh, families have broken down. Of course, family is you know the foundational building block of community. Our increased mobility, you know, the fact that we move from place to place, there's lots of upside to that, lots of opportunities that, re that result, but it also has the effect of, you know, weakening or thinning out uh, longstanding ties that we may have had to individuals. If you move every two years, uh, you don't have the ability to, 
you know, to have, you know, long time, deep, sustaining friendships. Uh, our technologies have, um, you know, there have been wonderful upsides to them. And almost all tools have upsides as well as downsides. But, uh, you know, our social media has, um, you know, time is zero sum. And the more time we spend uh, immersed in virtual interactions, the less time we have for actual interactions. And uh, virtual interactions are, it, it, they can do many things, but it is, it's simply not the same in terms of, you know, forming or sustaining or, or deepening uh, many relationships to, you know, to actual, just because we are embodied creatures. Uh, so between, uh, there's been a big loss of, you know, civic engagement, uh, you know, the volunteering, getting involved in different organizations and clubs and associations. Uh, there's a well-known sociologist named uh, Robert Putman who wrote a book called Bowling Alone about a generation ago that traced the way that civic participation was in decline. Uh, and tangentially, one of the factors that he believed really spurred that was uh, he, it was the rise of television at the time. And of course, the internet has kind of put that trend on steroids uh, that generally the more one reads, the more one is involved in uh, civic activities, uh, the more one is, in, is immersed in electronic entertainment or media, actually the less one uh, is, uh, is engaged in different civic enterprises. So between you know, the, the break up and thinning a family are increasing uprootedness and mobility, uh, technologies which draw us towards the virtual rather than the actual, and our you know, resulting kind of withdrawal from different civic, voluntary, neighborhood, community associations, all of those factors you know, have contributed to the breakdown of community. Is there something really important you'd like to share with people, sort of an elevator pitch of wisdom or advice that's on your heart these days? Well, one of the reasons why I have been so excited to, to work at the Trinity Forum is one of the things we try to do is to provide a space and resources for leaders and emerging leaders to grapple with the big questions of the life in the context of faith. And part of the reason why I think that is just, it's so important is in many ways it is potently countercultural. We're in a culture where the channel, the current of our culture drags us towards distraction, triviality, superficiality, uh, trolling, incivility, division, uh, such that we are angry, upset, and all alone together. And part of what we try to do is provide a place for people to think together about question, the questions that matter most. Uh, what is the good life? What does it mean to, to live a good life? What's the purpose of life? What's a, what's a just society? What's a good person? You know, questions that really matter in terms of how one lives one's life and to do it with both a spirit of hopefully intellectual rigor, but also warm hospitality. It's something that doesn't happen much uh, these days. And so it's, it's really a joy to get, be able to set the table for those kind of discussions. Cherie, thank you so much for joining me. If listeners would like to find out more about the Trinity Forum, check them out on the web at ttf.org. This is Ed and Cherie signing off from Grayson 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace.